Good morning. Well, as Jerry mentioned, Kathy and I will be heading out this week to, um, we'll be gone for the next couple of weeks. We'll be leading a tour of the steps of Paul in Greece and Turkey and also in, uh, in Rome. So we're real excited about that. But we also ask that you pray. Um, we've already had several people had to cancel from the tour because of injury. And so uh, that, you can imagine how disappointing that is. But also, you know, Satan would want nothing more than for God's word to be obstructed and uh, distracted over any a number of reasons. So just pray for us if you, when you think about, uh, think about us. On my very first trip to the Holy Land years ago, I was really sort of surprised to see that the streets where Jesus walked in the Jerusalem of the first century lies buried about 30 feet below the modern street. And so if you're going to you know, walk where Jesus walked, you either need to get a shovel or you need to go downstairs. <laughs> so we found ourselves walking a lot of stairs. And the layer of debris comes about in Jerusalem because of all the battles and wars, as well as just the natural erosion of a couple of thousand years. And without the, without the archaeological digs that go on there, uh, the biblical events would be hidden. They would be hidden beneath centuries of rubble and destruction and overgrowth. Time, if you think about it, does that. It does its natural work of hiding the truth. And I've thought about the spiritual life in the sense of sort of comparing it to an archaeological dig. Our minds, our hearts are like an archaeological dig in that time is no friend to an unintentional spiritual life. Without attention, our spiritual life grows weeds. And if we let it go long enough, it'll grow a forest over what should be pristine, you know, a pristine area. It becomes ruins. The battles of our lives, like the battles of Jerusalem, accumulates rubble. And if we don't remove that rubble, if we allow it to accumulate, after a while we won't even be able to see what's there. It'll just be buried. Time is no friend to an unintentional spiritual life. So we want to talk about an intentional spiritual life. How do we do it? How do we live it? What's the secret? Well, we can learn a valuable lesson from the book of Proverbs from an individual who never intended to teach us a lesson. So let's turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6. This, these first set of verses remind me of yesterday. Kathy and I were working in the yard, and we made some mesas out of anthills by running over them with the lawnmower. That's always fun. You run over, uh, these poor ants have taken all this time to build this wonderful anthill, and you just run right over it and just flatten the top of it off. And we went, went back through the yard and put some poison on it. And as I dropped the poison on these ants, I noticed they immediately came out. And they'll do that either when you disturb the bed, certainly if you make mesas out of their beds, 
they'll come out. But I noticed that it's amazing that what they do is they immediately begin to defend, of course, and to rebuild. No one calls them to do it. They just have this natural, innate sense that this is what we do. Well, Proverbs chapter 6 takes us to the ant. And really, it urges the, the sluggard to go to the ant. Now, before we get into the sluggard, let me just set some ground rules for this, um, this message. No elbows to the person next to you. No shoulder tapping on the person in front of you. It's so easy, as does the sluggard, to imagine how this message applies to everybody else. So imagine just for a moment that it's just you and me talking here. Or I, maybe it'd be even better to say that it's just us and the Lord and the Spirit of God. Because Proverbs 6, as well as the sluggard throughout Proverbs, isn't recorded just for us to get a good chuckle out of this lazy individual. But it's for us to do what the book of Proverbs challenges us to do, and that is to look at this individual's life and to make sure that ours isn't like it. Proverbs are just that. Notice at the top it doesn't say promises chapter 6. Proverbs are not promises. They are general principles. You will find exceptions in life. Proverbs are never meant to give us promises that we can claim. And this is a challenge, and this has caused some people to really struggle, like with the parts of Proverbs that talk about you know, training children and they'll never go away from the way that you train them. It's not a promise. It's a general principle. And that's what a proverb is. A proverb, if you take it even out of the biblical context and just look it up in the dictionary, it talks about a general principle that is true most of the time. Of course, there are exceptions. The book of Proverbs gives us God's wisdom that is true generally. Not that God's wisdom isn't always true, but that if you apply these principles to your life in a general sense, your life's going to go well. It doesn't mean that it's going to go perfectly, but in a general sense, if you apply Proverbs, the wisdom that it urges us to apply to our lives will benefit our lives. But there are always exceptions. The sluggard is mentioned 12 times in the Bible. Every time he's mentioned, he's mentioned in the book of Proverbs. My dictionary defines sluggard in a very simple way. Lazy, sluggish person. Well, the book of Proverbs, thankfully, gives us a better, fuller definition of this individual. Let's look at Proverbs 6, start down at verse 6. And we're back out in the yard with the ants. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your need like an armed man. My favorite comics, comic strip of yesteryear was Calvin and Hobbes. It was a sad day when, when Bill Watterson retired. 
you know, why do you retire from comics? But anyway, one of my favorite strips shows Calvin standing over an anthill, and he's yelling at the ants, and here's what he's saying. He says, hey, ant, you're working like a maniac, and what have you got to show for it? What's the colony done for you lately? What about your needs? You don't owe anybody anything. Let the others fend for themselves. Move out. Discover yourself. Express your individuality. <laughs> the last frame shows Calvin looking at us, and he says, if they listen to me, this should solve our ant problem. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's so true. Proverbs tells us here that the ants have no leader. In other words, there's nobody out there cracking a whip telling them, hey, defend the mound, rebuild the mound. Here comes that lawnmower again. Get ready. You're going to have to start rebuilding. The ant naturally does it. It doesn't need someone to crack the whip. It has no leader. It has no, um, no chief, no officer or ruler we're told. And yet, the ant prepares her food in summer. And she, God has built into the ant to do what the ant does, to do things of wisdom. Of course, the sluggard's problem isn't, as Calvin mentioned to the ants, it's not just selfishness or, or a desire to be individual. The sluggard's problem isn't that. The sluggard's problem is laziness. These principles are right there. Go to the ant and observe the ant. I mean, a simple ant could instruct a, a sluggard. And yet the sluggard is so lazy, the question is asked, when will you arise from your sleep? And then the, the quote is given here, which means that the, uh, the individual or the writer is quoting the sluggard in verse 10. The sluggard's rationale for why he just lays there is a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands the rest. There, the justification of laziness in the sluggard's mind is just a little bit. It's, I mean, it's not a big deal. It's not like I'm sleeping all day. But the problem is when you do this every day, there is a, an accumulation of, of a life of neglect. It shows up with a big surprise, these little excuses. One day your poverty comes in like an armed man like a vagabond. You will be surprised one day how it all adds up. The sluggard is not an exceptional person. The sluggard is an average person who decides that, um, who allows those little excuses to just add up and build up to a big surprise. Well, let's look at a few more of the sluggard's appearances here in this book. Look at chapter 13, Proverbs 13. He's not simply lazy, but that laziness extends beyond the bed to his head. Chapter 13, verse 4. We'll look at several right in a row here. Look at chapter 13, verse 4. It says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. Turn to chapter 20, verse 4.
Chapter 20, verse 4 says, The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. Look at the very next chapter, 21, verse 25. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, while the righteous gives and does not hold back. Not very long ago I was at a gas station uh, buying something to drink or something that was in line, and the the individual in front of me was at the checkout and pulled out a $100 bill and asked for $100 worth of lottery tickets. And he said, uh, he said something like, uh, I'll take five quick picks and seven lucky lottos. And I mean, he knew all the names. And he was able to do all the math in his head. And, and while the, the guy behind the counter was you know, tearing off all of his, all of his lottery tickets, and the man handed over his $100 bill, I said, excuse me, and he kind of turned around and I said, do you ever break even on that? <laughs> and with joy, he said, sometimes. <laughs> I said, so in other words, no. Because <laughs> sometimes doesn't equal what you just laid out. You know, and as I drove off, I thought about that, and, and not so much just about this man and his, and his lottery tickets, but just about human nature. Why are we so allergic to hard work to make something, you know, to, to, to earn something, as opposed to getting something for nothing? What is it about human nature that's so eager to get something for nothing, as opposed to hard work? Uh, I guess because if somebody will give us something for nothing, why work for it? And uh, anyway, we don't need to get into politics, but boy, it could go there fast, couldn't it? <laughs> Years ago, when I was first learning to read biblical Hebrew, I discovered, and this, is, <laughs> this was so funny, I laughed out loud, but I, I had my Hebrew folder. I had just finished my first Hebrew class, and so it was back when we actually did files with files. And I opened my file drawer to put in my Hebrew folder, and I noticed that I had to file Hebrew between heaven and hell. <laughs> and I just shook my head, and I thought, that is so appropriate. <laughs> Learning to read Hebrew was hard, and it's still hard to, uh, to keep it up. In fact... Um, there's nothing wrong with hard work, but man, hard work is hard because it's hard work. <laughs> and if you've ever learned a language or learned to read another language, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Our language, English just makes so much more sense. Why can't everybody just speak English? <laughs> Yesterday we were at TJ Maxx and I was sitting waiting on Kathy. Uh, she was in the dressing room. I was sitting there waiting and I heard this Chinese couple next to me speaking in Chinese. And I just listened to their language for a second and thought, how can anybody understand that? But they had no problem with it. Well, you mix a desire with diligence, and the desire can be realized. It's not enough to have a desire. The sluggard has desires. In fact, we're told here, we just read in 2125, the desire of the sluggard 
puts him to death because his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving, or literally all day long he is desiring. It's the same word in Hebrew. See, there is a benefit to all that hard work. It's the same word in Hebrew. The desire of the sluggard puts him to death. Verse 26, all day long he is desiring. And that's all he does. He just thinks, oh, it's going to be great when X, Y, Z happens. But he never does what's necessary to make it happen. And so it doesn't. He never makes any progress beyond always hoping that somehow the future will be better. It doesn't work like that. Because he's inconsistent with his efforts. You know, I think a lot of times the results, because the results of hard work aren't immediate, will ditch it. This is why our New Year's resolutions only last till about, you know, January 20th. Because we're, we're so, hard work is so hard. It, it's hard work to quit eating all the desserts. It's, it's or to cut back. You don't have to quit all, all of it, but just cut back. It's hard work to go, you know, run a mile or to walk a mile or to get up. I read something where uh, Bob, Bob Hope says, the older you get, uh, weightlifting is just getting up out of the chair, something like that. <laughs> it's just all, all relative. You start, start wherever you can. But the sluggard is always justifying his exception. It's, a, it's just a little sleep, just a little slumber. And there's nothing wrong with a little sleep and a little slumber, except when you do it all the time. When that is always your excuse, then you never make any progress. Look at chapter 26 at another proverb on the sluggard. Chapter 26, verse 12. Quite a few right in a row here, 12 through 16. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. A lion is in the open square. As the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The slugger is wise, sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. There's a lot there on the, on the sluggard. He is equated with the proverbial fool. Verse 12 and verse 16 are right there sort of bookending this section on the sluggard. And it's not a coincidence. The sluggard is equated to a fool because the principle is, not just in the sluggard's life, but in our lives as well, that if we think we're right when everybody else is saying something different, it should reveal where the real problem is. With the sluggard, he is, he is fine. It's everybody else that's wrong. There's more hope for a fool than him. He is wiser in his own eyes than seven men with discretion. And to change his view is just too hard, so he keeps it. U.S. News and World Report had an article by David Whitman. The article was entitled, I'm okay, you're not. 
He says that basically most Americans think that the nation is going to the dogs, but that their life is just fine. Their jobs, their homes, their neighborhoods, their doctors, their schools are fine. But everywhere else they're convinced that crime is rampant, the economy is collapsing, schools are disgraceful, families are failing, healthcare system can't be trusted. Whitman writes, he says, virtually all groups of Americans simultaneously hold sanguine views of themselves and pessimistic appraisals of others. We assume that while we're okay, it's really everybody else that's messed up. This is the sluggard. This is the sluggard that is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. The sluggard is somehow able to see what other people unanimously are missing. The sluggard not only has a false view of himself, but he also has a false view of life. He says there's a lion in the street. Well, probably not. Is there usually a lion in the street? No. But he says there's a lion in the street, so that's why I'm not going out there. It's a false view of life. I used to work with somebody who was so paralyzed by fear that it, it was paranoia. And it wasted a ton of money and a ton of time. If there's a lion in the street, go kill it. Because it might hurt somebody else. It's not just you we're thinking of here. But for the sluggard, that's all the reason he needs to not go out there. there there's a lion out there. No, you're paranoid and you're fearful. If there's a lion, go take care of the lion or get somebody to go take care of it. The sluggard is pictured as giving excuses that amount to paranoia. Also, um, let's see, 20, we're in chapter 26. Turn back, if you would, to chapter 24. And this is where we're going to spend the balance of our time. Chapter 24, verse 30. Now the author not only talks about the sluggard, but also talks about an observation he makes, an application, which goes straight to our lives. Proverbs 24, verse 30. I passed by the field of the sluggard and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw, I reflected upon it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, then your poverty will come as a robber and your want like an armed man. The ant taught us this before, but it's repeated here again toward the end of the book so that we don't miss it. I like the way the New International Version translates the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7. It says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider their life and imitate their faith. Consider the outcome of the way of their life. 
other people's lives are not just for us to either feel bad about ourselves or good about ourselves, because we're not as good as them or we're better than them. Other people's lives are for our learning. The author to the book of Proverbs here, and also the author to the book of Hebrews, give us two different object lessons with the same application. Observe a life of failure, observe a life of success, observe and follow based on what you see. If there's somebody that you know that's living a life of success, Hebrews tells us observe the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. The book of Proverbs tells us that this individual looked at the sluggard and received instruction. They looked, notice verse 32, when I saw I reflected upon it. It's not enough just to see a tragic life, and we all know them. We've seen it in our families. We've seen it in our friends. Tragic lives, we don't have to just watch the news. We can watch ourselves. We can watch our families. Tragic lives are right there in front of us, whether we want it or not. And if we will look and reflect upon it and receive instruction, then we can head in a different direction. You can look at your parents, your grandparents, a pastor, a friend, and we can't just say, you know, that's such a shame. I, I'm so glad that's never going to happen to me. Well, we hope it doesn't. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, just listen to his words. He writes, Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. All the tragic lives recorded in Scripture, the sluggard, King Saul, and the, those who died in the wilderness, which is what um, Paul is referring to here in 1 Corinthians 10, all the tragic lives aren't just there for us to go, man, I'm glad that's not me. They're there so, as Paul writes, that we can learn from their tragic lives. And by the way, we can also learn from our own failures. It's not enough to simply look at other people's failures and go, boy, I don't want to be like that. But to look at your own failure and go, I don't want to be like that. Failure is not ultimately failure unless we refuse to learn from it. Proverbs 24, the author walks by the field of the sluggard, he observes, and he learns. And what was the lesson? Well, it's, as I said, it's a repeat from the ant, but in verse 33 and 34, it's that, that simple principle of the little things. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then boom. Then poverty comes like a robber and, and your want like an armed man. There's very few blowouts in life. 
Very few blowouts. Most are slow leaks. Most of our failures come from slow leaks, those little moments of neglect. We make it a habit of telling ourselves, you know, just this once, and then we say that day after day until all of a sudden the little things add up. Proverbs also talk about too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. Have you found honey? Eat only a little bit or you will vomit, Proverbs says. Honey's a great thing, but if you drink a gallon of it, that's just gross. Proverbs says that. Sleep is, is great, rest is good, but a little and poverty will come on you like an armed man. Another example, it's great to have neighbors, but if you spend too much time at your neighbor's house, Proverbs says, he will hate you. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. It is excessive. Our success in life often hinges on how we treat the little things. There is power in incremental change. That is what the sluggard is teaching us. And that's, that's the lesson that we want to take away from this, this passage, is there is power in incremental change, either good or bad. Either way, it stacks up and it adds up. Pennies make dollars. Bricks make walls. Drops make stalactites. Days make years. Verses make Bibles. Little things add up to big things. And big things are only a bunch of little things put together. Keep the big thing from becoming a big thing by dealing with the little things on a daily basis. The little things are manageable. Big things aren't. So deal with it while they're little. This is what Proverbs is teaching us, and it is so wise to do that. The problem is that hard work is hard. <laughs> we don't want to eat a salad and go run five miles. We would rather drink a milkshake, take a nap, and wake up having lost 10 pounds, wouldn't we? <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. Our, 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 uh, our country, our culture has trained us to demand instant, immediate satisfaction. If we can't Google it, well then, what's this world coming to? You know, if, if Siri won't respond to us immediately, I've said some terrible things to Siri. I don't know about you. If she doesn't answer me right away, I'll let her know what I think about that. And then funny, sometimes she'll talk back and say, you shouldn't say that, Wayne. Hard work doesn't always pay off immediately, but it does pay off eventually. And that's, that's the deception with sin as well. Sin doesn't always come back in our face immediately, but it does eventually. Hard work and godliness doesn't always pay off immediately, but it does eventually. And we're going to live with eventually a lot longer than we are with immediately. So the Bible and Proverbs and the sluggard's example challenges us to take the long view. Don't just take the short view and the immediate. Listen to these words. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing 
is unrighteous also in much. Remember who said that? Jesus. Good. When you got a question in Sunday school, it's usually Jesus or Moses, so <laughs> good, good job. 50-50, and you nailed it. Listen to it again. This is our Lord Jesus' words. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. In other words, Jesus knows our character will scale. Who we are in the little things is who we will be in the big things. So we want to be faithful in the little things. For example, our regular time with the Lord, with God, and Bible reading remains an act of faith. It's, it's very rare when you read the Bible and there's a shaft of light oh, on a verse. <laughs> Most of the time, you're just reading. Most of the time, you're just allowing your mind and your heart to be cleansed with the truth of God's Word. Sometimes you'll read something and it'll be three weeks on that that verse will pop in your mind. You are accumulating truth, not for the immediate, but for the future moment when you'll need it. This is the wisdom of the little things. There's no immediate maturity. There's no sudden life change. But the Word of God works to renew our minds and our hearts over time. And it works if we're consistent. But if we're not consistent, our spiritual life grows weeds. The sluggard here in the book of Proverbs found that his life suddenly is ruined because there's just a little sleep. He thought there's just a little sleep, just a little slumber amounts to nothing. But it amounts to big things. It really does. Little things matter. And when little things represent our faithfulness to God, it makes a big difference. Blaise Pascal wrote this. He said, Lord, help me do great things as though they were little, since I do them with your powers. And help me do little things as though they were great, because I do them in your name. Little things matter to God. Remember it was Jesus who said, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in much. Planting a seed seems small, but it grows into a big tree. The biblical principle of sowing and reaping reveals that we usually experience a delay between our sowing and our reaping. We love the reaping. The reaping is great. But it's the process of sowing and tending and pulling and, 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 and taking care of that tree or, or whatever it is we're reaping. That's the hard part. Which is why... Paul tells the Galatians, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not grow weary. Because we grow weary of working the ant beds. We grow weary of working our spiritual lives. But we need to keep pressing on daily, every day. And the fact that it, there's a delay easily can deceive us into thinking that it's never coming. Like the proverbial sluggard, <clears throat> we can awaken after a while to discover all of a sudden, wow, what do you know? Our, our wall is broken down. And we've got to take the time to build it back. 
Well, let's look at one more place, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. As I said initially, time is no friend to an unintentional spiritual life. Preserving a biblical mindset takes daily, deliberate commitment. Because time will do its work of hiding the truth. It's like archaeology, like I mentioned up front. It proves that it's so. And it does its work in our lives. We have to do hard work to see the original, to dig, to renew our minds. 2 Corinthians 10, look at verse 3. Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see, the secret to an intentional spiritual life is committing to take every thought captive. Every one. Don't ever let one slide. And even, that doesn't mean be perfect, because the challenge is, of course, we're not. But even when the thoughts or become actions or become words that are godless, and we're good at that, you can respond to a godless action or godless words in a godly way. When's the last time you apologized? For some people, it's been a long time. Apologies should be frequent because we, do the, we, we sin against one another frequently. And Paul gives us the challenge. A great way to deal with the intentional spiritual life is to make a commitment taking every thought captive unto obedience of Christ. A stray thought comes into your mind, filter that through the Scripture. Is it true? The feeling may be true, but that doesn't mean that it's true. Just because you feel it and the feeling is true doesn't mean what you're feeling is truth. Filter it through the Scripture. Take every thought captive unto obedience to Christ. And when we see any dust on our walk with God, reaffirm your commitment to Him. Uh, last night, Kathy and I were driving home. We had dropped the van off to get the oil changed, and it was dark as we were driving back. And so as we were driving back, one of the last things I told Kathy was, uh, you know, watch out for deer, because we live out in the country, and, you know, deer, watching for deer is like brushing your teeth. It's just part of what you do. But anyway, I reminded her, be sure and watch for deer. Well, as I'm driving home, this, um, the car's coming at me down the, the country road with its brights on. And, you know, that's fine. They probably didn't realize that I can't see. <laughs> so I kind of flash my brights. And you know, you know how it works. If they don't immediately dim, well, you put your brights on. And then now it's just a game of chicken to make sure that you don't hit each other with your, your brights glaring at each other. Well, as soon as that happened and our cars were about to pass, I happened to look down and notice 
that this little armadillo, well, actually, it wasn't that little. It was about as big as a watermelon, comes waddling out right in front of my car. And you've got like half a nanosecond to decide, am I going to hit this car coming at me? Am I going to lurch into the ditch? Or am I going to squash the watermelon? <laughs> well, about the time you've decided, it's done. And so, you know, Texas is now rid of one more armadillo. <laughs> Less than 24 hours ago. And it's not the first thing that I've inadvertently killed. Never hit a deer, praise the Lord. I mean, a deer hits you. You don't hit a deer. But, um, I mean, all kinds of crazy things we've killed. Snakes, you know, driving on that road. But anyway, I hate it when it happens, especially when you don't have a choice. You're just basically stuck with killing this animal. And you think, Lord, I didn't want to do that. But there it is. And so I'm sort of mulling that over and not paying attention. And two rabbits run out in front of my car. The first one has the sense to run all the way across the road, but the second one freaks out and sees my light and looks at me and just kind of... It's like a squirrel. You know, you know squirrels? A squirrel looks like a, uh, a tennis ball in a sock bouncing across the road. And they don't have a ton of sense. Their arm almost as bad as... Uh, oh, what are those things? Possums. Possums, they just, I don't think the Lord gave them brains. They just sort of stand in the road and look at you when you're about to hit them. But anyway, but the, the, I missed the rabbit. Th thankfully, I missed the rabbit. And then, yes, the rabbit, rabbit made it home. And I come up over the hill, and would you believe it, there's a big turtle. I mean, not 10 minutes ago, I'd said, Kathy, you know, watch out for those deer. And I've got a rabbit, an armadillo, and a turtle. And the turtle was, I mean, it was, it was plate size. And it was right in the middle of the road. And, you know, I missed it. No, I didn't kill a turtle. But, you know, turtles can't hustle. They're sort of, they're sort of up to you. And it just kind of stopped and turned and looked at me. It, it didn't even try to run. But I, I got out of its way. But as I thought about these critters dodging my light and some not dodging my light, I thought about just the biblical metaphor of light that Jesus gave us. Listen to his words in John chapter 3. He wrote, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, I can think of, think of our lives like spiritual roadkill. The sluggard is an example of spiritual roadkill. He ignored the light, and it squashed him. 
And that's what the light will do. The light of God's truth is there to illumine truth. And when it shines on our lives, it shows us the dark places. And we can ignore it, like, like the sluggard, or we can decide like, like, uh, like we should that we're not going to continue with that same pattern. The light illuminates it, but we're going to change. Ironic that the Apostle Paul was converted by a blinding light. Later, Jesus told him after his conversion, he, he writes this in Acts 26, he says, uh, Jesus says, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is what the light does in our lives. It turns us from Satan to God, and it gives us a purpose that's, that's bigger than ourselves. The sluggard shows us here that little things matter. The sluggard reminds us that time is no friend to an unintentional spiritual life. So be intentional. Be intentional in the little things every day. Take every thought captive, every little thought Take it captive in obedience to Christ. Don't forget to say you're sorry when, when you blow it. Make the principle of the little things work for you, not against you, because it's working in our lives. Without exception, we're building walls with those bricks. We're building stalactites with those drops. It pays off to do it in a positive way. Let's pray. Our Father, it's easy to read these words of the sluggard, to get a good chuckle at his, at his laziness and really his, his idiocy, but it then becomes not so funny when we realize that Proverbs is written to us, not to him. Give us wisdom, Father, today and in the days to come, and give us awareness of the light that shines in our lives, that we wouldn't be like the sluggard, that we wouldn't be spiritual roadkill, that we wouldn't be a negative example for somebody to look at and decide they don't want to be like us. But regardless of the failures of our past, and we all have them, we all have them in spades, help us to determine from this day forward that we will live faithful in the little things, trusting that you will make the little things great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.